meeting space down here. Um, but I always say it's a huge indication you've outgrown your space when I go, actually Jordan knows, she sees me here frequently, cleaning the office, and then literally I come back a week later and the office is completely cluttered because we just have no other place to put it, so it just like lands in there. Um, we definitely need more space. <laughs> and we're hugely limited with our meeting rooms here. Um, as far as September, we're actually launching a J-Hop intensive, which you can read more about it. Um, in that pamphlet and online, but in short, we actually need more housing space in addition. So um, at this point, we're hoping to use down here for additional housing and rent a commercial or buy a commercial space. Um, so yeah, if you want to be a part of the um, research committee just to kind of see what's available, we really desperately need people that are can take the time and the energy to help us research. But we just want to welcome anybody that's here for the first time. Um, we have been since I know this sounds crazy, since January, we've been covering the Book of Acts. <laughs> um, and we either have a lot of visitors that come through J-Hop, which is a blessing, and so we have different people speaking and sharing, um, or things of that nature, so it's not like we're hitting it every single week, but I'm pretty much the consistent Book of Acts girl. Um, and I will say, today I am creatively honoring my husband, because <laughs> I really wanted to like cover like five chapters in the Book of Acts. I was like, let's just like go after Acts, because it's really been very good whenever we do, and every, every week that we do cover it, people will come to me the following week and say, are we going to keep going with the Book of Acts? I love Book of Acts. Um, but I, I've actually been preaching another message to my husband this week, <laughs> a different message, <laughs> and he said, you really need to preach this on Sunday, and I said, I really want to do Book of Acts, <laughs> so we kind of went back and forth, he kind of required that I preach the message I've been preaching to him all week, and I told him I really wanted to hit Book of Acts, so I actually said to him this morning, I said, it just so happens that the chapter in the Book of Acts that we're on is chapter 10, I said, how would you feel, I said, if I got my desire of preaching Book of Acts, I said, if I actually preached it really brief for our offering, and I said, and then I honored you, and I preached the message you want preached afterwards, <laughs> and he said, sounds like a deal. <laughs> so anyway, I'm going to preach one chapter, it's going to be very brief, it's actually going to be in context of our offering, um, and then I'll move on to the message that my husband wanted me to preach, um, and it, it is, it's a good message, but the thing is, I've been more preaching it to him because I've been reading a book and studying something. So it's definitely not something that I feel like is fully developed to preach, but he felt like it was necessary and timely, so we're going to go after both of those. So really quickly, Acts chapter 10. And for those of you that are not familiar, uh, this is actually the story really of Cornelius. Had any of you ever heard of Cornelius in, in the book of Acts? And really, ultimately, like, I think it's really good when you're learning Bible or teaching Bible, if you give kind of people the headline or the overline of what that chapter, so it's almost like when they think, okay, Acts chapter 10, this is really when the gospel went to the Gentiles. And really, this is powerful if you think about it, because it was through the household of Cornelius that the door to the Gentiles was open. So that's kind of, you want to know that as the background, and like when you think Acts chapter 10, you can go, okay, the gospel, the door was open to the Gentiles to have the gospel preached to them, and salvation came. So this is pivotal. This is actually like pivotal for the entire book of Acts, but the entire New Testament. Um, but it's even more pivotal in the sense that when it actually opens up, it talks about Cornelius, this is verse chapter 1, um, and it actually gives the context that he was a part of the army. In, in verse 2 it says, he was a devout man and one who feared God with all, oh, sorry, and um, one who feared God with all of his household, who gave alms generously to, to the people and prayed to God always. So this would speak of him being devout unto God. 
He does not understand the reality of Jesus Christ. It doesn't say that he has a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, but he was devout to God. Now, what I want to mark here, and I want you to understand, is that in verse 2, it speaks of this posture of prayer and of generosity in the place of giving. And then actually, if you jump down to verse 4, it then also references, and it said said unto him, your prayers and alms have come before, before me as a memorial. This was God speaking to him. Now, this is what I want to just say, Bible 101 for all of you. There should never be a passage of scripture in the Bible or even a book of the Bible that is not life-giving to us. Because no matter what we're reading in the Bible, we should read it in the context of saying, how is God revealed in this passage? So if the Bible is in any way boring to you, or you kind of have one of those, me and Daryl kind of do little races sometimes. We do the New Testament in 30 days and see who's winning. (laughs) And, you know, that competitive side of us to see who gets to the end and who doesn't. And (laughs) I usually try to con him that one of us gets a prize, whoever makes it to the end. (laughs) I know, it's funny, isn't it? (laughs) Because I usually know I'll get the prize. But... (laughs) Anyhow... (laughs) But honestly, when you're going to, <laughs> not true. <laughs> but anyhow, when you're going through like even a reading plan, to be honest, it can be one of some of those times where you're like almost hammering it through chapter through chapter. You know, oh, I did Psalm 24 today. Oh, I did Psalm 25. But really, when we take the time to say. I want God to be revealed to me through this passage of Scripture. So even some of the most detailed things, even in the Old Testament or the New Testament, when you sit, and that's the posture of your heart, is to know Christ more fully. He's revealed through Scripture. And really, in Acts chapter 10, there's many ways that he's revealed. I mean, basically, Peter preaches the salvation message, and an entire household is saved. But aside from that, I love this because it's, it's God, I mean, his heart being revealed, saying your prayers and your alms have come up for a memorial before God. Now, what that speaks to each and every single one of you is that every prayer that you pray is recorded in heaven. That there's never a time that your voice is uttered to God that he is not listening. There's never even a time that you so it could be a dollar or two dollars, that he does not make record of it, and that there's a memorial in heaven unto what you gave, gave unto him. That's ex- that, that reveals the heart of God as a God who cares so deeply. And I'll be honest with you, I believe it, it reveals an aspect of God that he's earnestly looking and waiting for his people to pray to him. He is looking for that responsive heart. It reveals God so profoundly as far as even how meaningful it is. If you think about something, is there anything that someone has given to you or even done for you that you've created a memorial for? I mean, that would really speak of the worth of that to them. Creating a memorial for something speaks of saying, I hold this in such high value and regard. That I'm creating, I think about that in a, in a natural sense as far as our nation and museums and things like that. You create a memorial to something that is of high value and high regard that you want preserved and honored. And that's what God is saying that your prayers have come to me and your alms have come to me as a memorial. That's powerful. It's a powerful window into the heart of God. And it says about the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God coming and saying to him, Cornelius. And when he observed him, he was afraid and said, what is it, Lord? And he said to him, your prayers, and this is the, the passage I was just reading, your prayers and alms have come up 
uh, for a memorial before God. Now send men to Joppa and send to Simon, whose surname is Peter. So basically this angel gives an instruction. And then basically Cornelius pulls aside like two of his servants and says, I need you to go to Joppa. And literally, they're, they're, he's not giving them any more instruction or understanding. All he says is, it, well, his name is Simon, his surname is Peter, but he said, go to Simon's house. It's at a gentleman named Simon. And the crazy thing is, is while this is happening, in Joppa, at Simon's house, Peter's there. And Peter goes, and it actually says that he went up, uh, this is actually, uh, if you skip ahead to verse 9, it says, Peter went up on the housetop to pray about the sixth hour. So this is happening simultaneously. His servants are being sent to Joppa to go fetch Peter. Peter's going up on the housetop to pray. And it says, when he became very hungry and wanted to eat, but while they made ready, he fell into a trance and saw heaven opened and an object like a great sheet bound at the four corners, descending to him and let down to the earth. Um, In it were all kinds of four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, creeping things, and birds of the air. And a voice came to him, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything common or unclean. And a voice spoke to him a second time and said, what God has cleansed, you must not call common. And then it goes on. It actually happens three times. Basically, Peter wakes up from this trance and has no idea what it means. Kind of like, what does that mean? I mean, it defies all Jewish culture. I mean, it defies everything. Talk about, like, God directing you to do something that's contrary to written word. Like, (laughs) that's, like, really where you learn to follow the voice of God and him speaking to you in that moment rather than the letter of the law because pretty much all the rules get broken here. All the rules are now getting broken. And it says, while Peter thought about the vision, this is verse 19, while Peter thought about the vision, the Spirit said to him, behold, three men are seeking you. And now here's the servants that had come on Cornelius' behalf. In verse 20 it says, Arise therefore and go down to them, doubting nothing. So the Lord prepares his heart. He prepares, uh, he prepares, um, sorry, where are we? Who's he prepared? (laughs) There you go. (laughs) I'm like, who's he prepared? He prepares Peter and he goes down and it says, Doubting nothing, for I have sent them. Then Peter went down to the men who had been sent to him from Cornelius and said, Yes, I am he, he whom you seek, and for what reason have you come? Then it goes on basically that the gentleman that was sent on Cornelius' behalf, they basically say, Cornelius had a vision, he's supposed to come, we're supposed to come get you and bring him back to your house. At this point, Peter doesn't even know what he's going back to the house for. Peter goes back, and basically right here, verse 23 through 33, he preaches the salvation message. Um, it actually continues on through, actually, verse 40, 43. But this is the recap of it. 44, while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell on all those who heard the word. So Peter comes, this is all in response to an angel of the Lord appearing to Cornelius, him sending his servant men to go, the Lord preparing Peter's heart, because this was literally, and this is how it all gets explained, is basically Peter was doing something that was completely contrary to Jewish culture and understanding. He was going to preach to the Gentiles. He does it in response and obedience to God, and literally Cornelius had gathered, it says his entire household, his relatives and friends. And it doesn't say some, it says all of those who heard the word. All of those who heard the word and those of the circumcision who believed were astounded as many as came with Peter because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. 
for they heard them speaking with tongues and magnifying God. Then Peter answered, can anyone forbid water? Now it goes on to public baptism. I mean, this is all in one day, and it's really in response to a vision. And this is extraordinary to me. I was sitting with somebody this past week, and we were talking about Book of Acts. And I just said, don't you, like, love it? It's the model of the New Testament church, but literally, like, in every chapter, the angel of the Lord came and spoke. You know, I mean, the, the exchange of the supernatural is just so extraordinary and even so natural. And we're, isn't it crazy? How many of you have been ever sitting in a room and someone will go, I had a dream and I think it's from the Lord. And you can actually feel the people in the room like, you sure? Like, what's wrong with you? Like, oh, you're so super spiritual. I mean, in our culture, in our day, in our time, there's really such judgment upon people that will even, even will be bold and confident enough to say, I've heard from the Lord. The Lord spoke to me. There's even a skepticism in our Western mind and heart to question and go, Was it really the Lord? I mean, we have such a veil of the practical, natural, humanistic lens. Whereas in Book of Acts, it was the most natural way to live, is this exchange. And this is really in context of tithes and offerings. There's a couple things that I just want to share with us. Is Number one, actually, um, I skipped right over it because I was trying to go so quickly. But in verse 31, there was actually another time where it was spoken. It said, and said, Cornelius, your prayers have been heard and your arms are remembered. This is the third reference to his prayers and to the arms that are remembered before God. And this is what's extraordinary, actually, about Book of Acts. Is that, as you guys know, in the first uh, couple of chapters as we covered them, is that as there was the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, we saw simultaneously there was the giving of their goods for the common good of all. And really what we have to recognize is that it's interchangeable that the place that where our heart is being revived and awakened to the Spirit of God, that giving and generosity happens as a natural byproduct. It ceases to be something where we have to wrestle over it and toil over it and almost like slowly loosen our grip from our dollar. (laughs) Because really what it is, is in that place of revival, the nature and the character of Christ is so revealed to us that we live in that place of trust. We live in that place that all I am is yours and all you are is mine, so I live with no lack. See, that place of revival is we've come out from the place of lack and we've come into the place of abundance. And this is what I clearly want you guys to understand is that when we take, I've noticed some weeks because we either have a lot of announcements or a lot going on, we'll very quickly take the offering. And this is what I want to emphasize for everybody here, and even I know it gets recorded and people email me that they're listening, so all of you listening, (laughs) is that when we put an emphasis on finance, this is what I want you to understand. I and this ministry, we do not feel like we are any way limited by your income, your dollar amount, or how much you choose to give. I have so seen the miraculous side of God where he moves beyond and in spite of. So we are in no way limited to the number of people. And if your sacrificial giving is $10, don't at all feel as though that's insignificant. Because when you sow it with a heart of generosity and a heart that desires to honor God, I want to tell you something, your giving is multiplied. And God has a way of honoring you in your sacrifice. But this is also what I want to say, is if we focus on finance ever, I want you to hear something. We're focusing on it so that we as a community are a healthy group of people. Because I cannot get around it, 
It's followed me from the time I was young. My finances are a direct, really, picture and uh, reflection of the condition of my heart. And the only way I can say it to you, I mean, it's biblical that where your treasure is there, your heart lies also. But I can honestly say in the seasons where I have utmost trust and confidence that God will provide, and honestly, when love is the most awakened in my heart, I give freely. In seasons where I find that my, either whether it's areas of devotion or places where I I myself am just in a hard season struggling, I can see that those seasons, it's more like I'm looking at my tithe, like my tithe. This is my tithe, meaning it's required. Because those other seasons, it's never about my 10%. It's always about the place of sacrifice. And really what it is, it speaks to our heart. It speaks to where we are, really in our relationship with the Lord. And honestly, it's not about even what you sow here. It's about the posture of even giving freely to one another. It's funny because I have an uncle who's very religious, meaning in the sense, I should say, he's not religious. He's very spiritual. Very spiritual. He's into lots of Eastern religions and things. Actually, if you've heard my testimony, he's the gentleman that paid for me to go to Europe for three weeks, and I ended up in Heron Hut. He's been a phenomenal source of blessing in my life and even in my mother's life. But I can remember being really young and him paying for me to do something. He's just always been so generous. And um, I can remember one time saying to him, I, I just was like, why do you always offer to pay for everything and bring everyone on vacation? And <laughs> I was just like trying to understand it. And he said, don't you understand the principle? And he doesn't understand it from a biblical, like, okay, so let me back up. There's the law of sowing and reaping, yes. whether you're honoring God or not. Right. It's, it's like the passage that says that the rain falls on the just and the unjust. Right. That there are principles that are, they are the word of God, and they've been set in motion by God. But if you follow those principles, you have the same place of sowing and reaping. It's just like sin. Someone may not know about Jesus, may not even understand the sowing to the flesh that you reap death. They don't get that. They don't know that intellectually, but you can see in their life, as they sow to the flesh, they're reaping death. It's a principle that they cannot avoid. The same is true with my uncle. (laughs) So he says to me, he's like, Wait, you don't understand? He's like, he's like everybody understands. He said, with finance, it, it's almost like it's a river. And, I, and I'm like looking at him. <laughs> I'm like thinking, I'm like, okay, where is he going with this? Because I understand biblically. And he said, I always want it flowing through my life. He said, I found the more I give, he said, the more I become a conduit be, to be able yeah. to give more. And I'm like listening to him going, are you sure you don't know Jesus? <laughs> like, <laughs> that's just like, and you have to understand something. People, and it's not the motive that you give to get. But if any of you really have a heart to be a blessing to people, I mean, I know for me, from the time I've been young, I've, I've prayed for orphans. I've wanted to alleviate hunger and home, homelessness. Like, those are things that from a very young age burned in my heart. But honestly, you need finance to do those things. <laughs> I mean, you, I, you need money. I mean, and I do believe that there's, I mean, just for those of you that don't know, the phase that we're at now, kind of with even some of the planning that we're working on with the House of Prayer, is the longer term of homes for children and how to see when we do plant houses of prayer in the nations of the earth that they're connected with being an advocate for the poor, the widow, and the orphan simultaneously as a mission. So that's really, but those things take finance. And it was astounding to me, even at a young age, to see that my uncle understood the spiritual principle without even understanding Jesus. And really to see the spiritual principle working in his life. 
of seeing it continually. And so what I want you to understand is that anytime it's talked about or mentioned, it's really for us as a community to be a healthy people. And the extraordinary thing is it speaks of Cornelius, that it was he was a man of prayer, he was a man of alms, and it actually spoke of the, that it was during the time of fasting that the angel of the Lord came to him. And that those are three things that in a house of prayer, really that's where we should find the place of generosity, that we are those giving out of that place and, and even supplying for the needs of others from this place. Um, sorry, my throat stretched. So we're going to go ahead and take our tithes and offerings, and I want us to understand the spiritual significance, that it's a memorial before God, that when we do it, although some weeks it is rushed, <laughs> you need to understand that the, the time that we take is no more a reflection, and it does not minimize the importance of what you do before God and even the value that it holds in heaven. So, God, we just come before you right now, and Lord, we say, Lord, in every area of our lives, we want to honor you. But God, we also say that we want to understand, Lord, what you honor and what you hold dear and hold in high value. And God, we say, Father, as even as this house of prayer, God, we ask, Lord, that as a ministry of J-Hop Boston, God, that yes, we would know, be known as a house of prayer, but that we would even be known as a house of giving. God, that we could give generously, Lord, to supply for the needs of the poor and the needy. Lord, that we could give to the needs of others. Actually, right now while we're praying for finance, I'm just going to pray for something specific. For those of you that don't know, there was a shooting in Cambridge this past week. And the, the pastors in the area, we've been working together on coming up with a strategy, really, for the community because it's in such crisis. But, God, right now we even ask, Lord, that, um, Lord, not just in finance, but, God, in other areas of strength, God, that the Church of Cambridge, Father, would um, be a strength and be a source of light and healing and truth and even resource for the families and the youth of this city that are in crisis. God, we ask even right now, Father, that, um, th that the testimony, Lord, of the Church of Cambridge would be that we are found as those, Lord, with light in the midst of darkness, and, Lord, even the resources to be able to provide for those in need. God, we just lift up these two families before you, God, even today, God, found in crisis and despair and mourning. And, God, we cry out to you, God, for provision from heaven. God, not just financial provision, which is needed, but emotional and spiritual. God, for provision on every area. God, we just ask, Father, that you would provide supernaturally for these two families, Father. Will we lift them before you? God, we say move on their behalf, Father. All right, we're going to... Go ahead and pass this. Jordan's in the back. Um, but no, I was just reminded when we were praying, because as the email was going back and forth between a bunch of the pastors, I realized my heart, because I'm always wanting to give finance, my first thing was, what do the families need? Like, what are the, and can the churches be at a place of giving finance? And what a testimony that is even to the community, when the church is in the posture to give. Because um, oftentimes, I think the world sees the, church in the posture of asking. <laughs> so, anyhow, Acts 10. No matter how low we turn the AC, it's always hot in here. It was like freezing before, wasn't it? Like when we first came in? No. It's like, I don't know. Were you hot or you cold? I think it's warm, but it was cool before, wasn't it? Okay, so this very much ties in 
But for those of you that don't know, as far as studying the book of Acts, I will say this. As we're studying the book of Acts, you read, literally, it's a testimony of fulfillment. It is prophetic fulfillment of what was prophesied of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. It's um, fullness. It's, I mean, everything that Acts is, to be honest, when you're reading it, you have, really, let's be honest, you come to the recognition that it's not the reality of the Western church, which is a painful reality. And so this message, it's going to be very brief, about 10 minutes, but in light of that, but also in light of we are a community that really is crying out for revival, and we, in a very definite sense, long even to cultivate that place of Matthew 5, that blessed are those that hunger and thirst for righteousness shall be filled. So in a community where we're forever even wanting to posture our lives of not being contented in this day and age and culture, but longing and seeking for more, I really feel like this message that I'm about to share is actually, number one, the stability of a community like that, but also for each of our individual hearts, if this principle is not sown deeply, uh, we will falter and we will wane in, in the process of pursuing and seeking. Um, so basically, when I look at the book of Acts, I feel as though, yes, there is a day coming of fulfillment that we will see the outpouring the way that we are crying out for, but let's just acknowledge we are in a season of waiting. We're almost in a, in a period of time that we are waiting, and there's that waiting period of the, the prayers that we are praying, we are not seeing the answers to. For, if anybody's been here on a Saturday night, you understand, like, we're really seeking the Lord for citywide revival. We're seeking, I mean, we're, we're asking the Lord, really, ultimately, to fulfill the word he spoke over America. <laughs> they, I mean, <laughs> and then from there, the nations of the earth, of what America would be. I mean, they're pretty large. And I believe that the Lord's going to answer those things. But in the waiting process, this is what I want to say. How many of you have heard the story of Daniel? It's well known in the prayer movement, the posture in the life of Daniel. But I really think that we have looked at Daniel in a way that we've missed a very, very key aspect of his life. We focus very, very much on him being a man of prayer and fasting. For those of you that don't know, I'll give you a quick, very quick background. If you read the book of Daniel, Daniel was brought into Babylonian captivity in his youth. In his youth, it's actually spoken of him that he took the posture of prayer and fasting. And basically, so that you understand, he was reading the book of Jeremiah. And as he was reading the book of Jeremiah, he realized that there was a day of fulfillment. It was 70 years, and then literally they would come out of captivity. So he started praying into the prophecies of Jeremiah for the release of his people. Now, this is an extraordinary thing. I see Daniel as very similar to us in that waiting season of kind of we have a word, we have a promise, we're praying and we're seeking, but there's a key in Daniel. Oftentimes, everyone quotes Daniel 6.10 as far as when the decree went forward that no one was supposed to pray. He went up to his upper room, and everybody knows the story. He opened up his windows, says that he opened up his windows, and he knelt and he prayed, right? I mean, this is Daniel, who we all testify of. He was an extraordinary man of faith. This was Daniel in the lion's den. You begin to wonder and question. And I mean, how many of us look at people of biblical times, and we long for the fortitude, we long for the clarity, we long for the insight, we long for the influence. I mean, this man, I mean, Daniel 10, if you've never read it, I highly suggest you do. It was his intercession that was moving angels and demons. It was, he was helping to partner with the heart of God to fulfill destiny over his, his, his people. 
I mean, it's no small thing what Daniel was a part of. He is renowned for his prayer life, of being a man of prayer. But there's this really finite detail of Daniel's life. And if you read that passage of scripture that I referenced in Daniel 6.10, it says he knelt down on his knees three times a day. Everybody knows that this was kind of the history of Daniel's life. Three times a day from his youth, as was his custom, he knelt down and prayed and gave thanks. It wasn't a general prayer. It says that three times a day, Daniel knelt down and prayed and he gave thanks. That's something very specific. It does go on to talk about giving supplication, that he would make supplication, but it is very specific here that he gave thanks. We're going to move into more scripture on this topic, but we kind of can't move past Daniel. And everything that he um, is valued as in the body of Christ, the man of faith, the man of prayer and fasting, of moving in angels and demons, what if it was the very characteristic That three times, that's a discipline to pray. But three times a day, he was found in the posture of giving thanks. Now, if there is anybody to be found in the posture of not giving thanks, it would have been Daniel. He was in a country where he was being persecuted. He was in a country that he was in complete captivity and exile. I mean, he had every reason under the sun not to give thanks. He had every reason under the sun to be a hardened, crusty old prophet. You know, angry at what was taking place in culture, in society. But it's specific. It says he gave thanks. That is powerful. He gave thanks. Actually, if we move on, and I don't know how many of you have looked very closely at the... It's referenced in 1 Corinthians 11.23, and that's where it's referenced, but the actual story of Jesus... When he, the night before he was betrayed, when they took communion together. It's found in Luke twenty two nineteen, But it specifically says in 1 Corinthians, it references the night that before Jesus was betrayed, we find him giving thanks. And, and, and let me just read it specifically from verse 19. It says, and he took the bread, he gave thanks, and he broke it. He gave it to them saying, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So here we find Jesus. This is the Last Supper. This is his last and final moments with his disciples before he goes to the cross. He's there breaking the bread. It's symbolic of his body, which is about to be broken for all humanity. He's there breaking the bread, instructing them, do this in remembrance of me. I mean, honestly, what a painful moment. The night that he was betrayed, I mean, knowing all of these things that are transpiring, knowing that he was going to the cross the next day, says he he took it and he broke it and he gave thanks. This is really where the place of thanksgiving goes beyond being thankful for, and I actually was talking to Daryl about this, it's so easy to make a list, I'm thankful for my husband, I'm thankful for my baby, I'm thankful for my house, You know, those are all very legitimate things to be thankful for. But Jesus shows the testimony of being thankful that he was about to go to the cross and that his body would be broken for all humanity. Talk about the place that the things that seem like cursing in our life, 
the things that are the most difficult, the places of hardship, of being able to thank him in the midst of it. Even go so far to say to thank him for it. I mean, that's a profound, profound... I'm actually, one of the books that I'm reading right now, it's called A Thousand Gifts. And one of the stories that she shares that I'm still like trying to like wrestle over in my heart is um, she was wrestling through this issue of gratitude and thanksgiving. And honestly, this is a message you usually hear around Thanksgiving time, right? About Thanksgiving. The only reason I'm really focusing on this is I honestly, honestly believe everything we pray about abiding in the presence of God, everything we pray about being fashioned into the likeness and the image of Jesus, I believe that on every level, the things that we desire, that we'll actually find this posture of gratitude and thanksgiving is an open door to it. I, I believe that with everything within me. And I believe it's more than me just, and, and Daryl and I, because I've been, like I said, preaching this in the last week, um, I actually got on his case because I said to him, I said, so what are you thankful for? And as he was going through, and I just said to him, I said, we have to go beyond the superficial of what we're thankful for. So this is like actually what we've been wrestling through in our household is this place of gratitude. We're going to move on further so you can see it. But this woman basically, what she was saying was is she, they, they live on a farm. And her son's hand got caught in a humongous fan in the farm. And a child came running basically. And she's in the process of, okay, gratitude and for the blessings in my life and all of this. And she said as the, she had six children. As one came running in saying his hand was caught in the she recognized at that moment, no, he said that his arm got caught in the fan. She said in that moment as she ran the mile out to the barn, she said that she realized that that could have been his entire limb. That could have been, like, just what it, and she even said it really could have been the end of his life depending on the bleeding. And, the, and she said as she was running, she was saying, how do I find gratitude? Because I'm, like, she, just the wrestling of her heart. How do I find gratitude in all things? Mm-hmm. Well, in the midst of this, the young boy was greatly spared. His arm was broken. A few fingers fractured. He went through surgery. But this is what is really provoking. She gets back to the house that day, and her mother's standing there. And as her mother's standing there, her mother whispers and says, it's the grace of God. Which, honestly, is my response to a lot of things, <laughs> is it's the grace of God. But what this woman shares is she says that very same day, there was another accident in the same town. And that little boy that had an accident didn't live through it. He died. So what she said is she said in the moment that her mother uttered the words, that was the grace of God. She said she sat there and thought, well, was it, so how come the grace of God didn't visit their household? Mm -hmm. The household that lost a child. Like meaning that could have been her. So where, where does it cause that this was the grace of God and he, his grace visited me, but his grace didn't visit them? And this is the extraordinary thing. is She ended up on a phone call with the uncle of the little boy that died. This is profound. She ended up on a phone call with the uncle um, of the little boy that died, and when she was speaking to him, she just said, you know, how are you guys reconciling this in your heart? And, he's, and this is what he said. He said, we're at peace with this because God knows all, and he is good. So she pressed and she said, so did God intend for this to happen? And he said, all things are within the grace of God. Now, that is a hard thing to grapple with. And because this is where some of us would go, it's the enemy, it's the... But you know what? This is the extraordinary thing. 
is that even if the enemy is allowed to do something, permitted to do something, in the midst of it, we always have to know that God works all things together for the to, together of good, and He's only allowed it because He's going to work grace in the midst of it. So anything He allows is His grace. I mean, let's just say this: Was it that the grace of God had lifted from Jesus when He was going to be crucified? Was it that you know, for her to whisper, this was the grace of God? It was the very will of God, but it was unto life. And when we view that the most devastating circumstances in our life can be unto life, that it is not that that is the end of the story. If we view it as although it is difficult, although it is painful, what is that? What if that is the very lens through which you see Christ? What if you could not see him rightly any other way? See, this is the thing. Some of us are so busy and we're painting our canvas because we want it to look right. We want it to look beautiful. We have an image of what life is supposed to look like in all of its color and all of its splendor. And then all of a sudden, the canvas is torn. Every image of what we want it to be is gone away. But what if it's only through the torn canvas, only through that brokenness, that we're able to see Christ? What if that's the only way we can see him rightly? What if that's the only place where the veil is rent for us to see him? Is through the place of pain. I uh, Get me. I'm all into it. I see Jesus in the trees. I see Jesus in the stars. Like he's, I understand he's a good God. But at some point, especially in the day and the hour that we live in, we have to develop a theology for understanding the goodness of God, even in the midst of suffering. Even in a world where there's starvation and pain, we have to develop a theology and the resolution in our heart that no matter what happens, the strong conviction, no matter what it looks like, no matter how painful it might be, do you even understand that with the tornadoes that ripped through the, the, um, the Midwest? You know, the, this is a, a friend of mine works with crisis, disaster, and relief, and this is what they were saying is that through the Midwest, you'd have one home that would literally say, I don't know what happened. For some reason, the tornado was heading, to, heading toward us, and then it went around our house. We were spared. That's the grace of God. But then how do you sit in the next home? Yeah. And they're believers... They love Jesus. They're pastors. The same home, and literally out of their arms, their four-month-old baby was ripped by the tornado. What, where's our theology of God then? Is it that he doesn't see? Is it that he doesn't care? Or is it that somehow in that, trusting that his grace will be revealed? You know, it's extraordinary. One of the other books that I'm studying is actually... <laughs> It was actually speaking about Hezekiah and basically the story of Hezekiah and how, um, I shouldn't even get into all the details, but basically because a time of appointment had come to die, but because of beseeching the Lord for it to be de- delayed, that out of that bloodline, because of the delay, wickedness came. But if that person at the appointed time had died, that wickedness would never come out of that bloodline. That individual was only born because of the delay of one man's death. 
This is actually what um, a, another testimony, because I've been studying this issue of gratitude. This one gentleman, within an 18-month period of time, he lost two newborns. Had a newborn, lost it two months, had another newborn. And this is extraordinary. This is actually what he said. He said, um, his testimony was, he said, God is good no matter what it looks like. And the other person talking with him was just in such grief, kind of like, how can you say that? I've seen you suffering. I've seen you in pain. And his response was this. He said, what if God's taking them at three or four months old was God's grace to us because they would have just had a lifetime of suffering and he spared them and us. He said, you can never understand what was on the other side. You can never understand. And see, this is where in our human finite mind where we think we know it all, where we think that we know how we would do it if we were God. Isn't that, isn't that what this really comes down to? Doesn't it come down to, if I were God, I wouldn't? Without understanding that he is the only one that sees the beginning from the end. He is the only one that has his hand all throughout human history. And coming to that place of worship, of saying, in your infinite wisdom, you know all, you see all, and you are good, no matter what the circumstance. There's actually a quote that I love. It's by St. John of Avila, and it says, One act of thanksgiving, when things go wrong with us, is worth a thousand thanks when things are agreeable to our inclinations. I love the way he says it. Because he puts it in such perspective, agreeable to our inclinations. Meaning, it's not in the grand scope of things. It's just that it felt good to you. (laughs) That's really what it is. It fit in your paradigm, in your small, finite humanity of how it should have gone. You know, another, another author actually writes that when we can't give thanks and when we're so almost caught up in the injustice and what was done and how difficult my life is and what I wish it was, all of those things that actually what it's speaking to is that we feel like somehow God is indebted to us instead of the fact that we're indebted to him. It speaks to that place that somehow we feel as though our life should go in one direction and in one way, and we are somehow deserving. The way I said it to my husband is, it's almost like that mentality, like every day should be a spa treatment. Like, you know, it should go a certain way, I should live my cush life, it should go this way. Instead of understanding, this is what I love about my mom. My mom is like the most extraordinary woman you'll ever meet in your life. She can be having the hardest of days, and if I say, Mom, how are you doing? Her response, she will not say anything negative. She'll go, I'm not in a Nazi concentration camp. (laughs) And I'm like, good perspective. (laughs) But it's that place of just saying, you know, I ate a meal today. That's good. That's a point up for me. I ate. (laughs) It's finding that, that, that what you can rejoice in. That what can we rejoice in? And this is actually, I want to tie it up here so that we're not going way over time. Um, But actually, I want us, well, let let me actually back up. That passage of scripture that I read to you guys where it says that he took bread, he gave thanks, and he broke it, and he gave it to them. That place of giving thanks, it's actually the Greek word, which is eucharistio, is to give thanks. And this is actually profound. So the root word of eucharistio is kiris, which is grace. So in the midst of giving thanks, there's grace. But it's actually derived from a Greek word that means joy. 
joy. That in the midst of thanks is where we find joy. And really any place in our life that we're lacking joy, if we go back to the place of saying, God, give me a heart of thanksgiving. That regardless of the circumstance that I find myself in, I want to give you thanks in all things. You know, many of you, some of you in this room are married, some of you are not. I'll just give you marriage 101 right here, if you remember this, for all the days of your life. This principle of thanksgiving, it's true even of marriage. You know, my husband can do one thing wrong. It can be he forgot to take out the trash. And you can find yourself, you know, all your little like, and he doesn't, and he forgets, and he did it, did it. I can guarantee you, marriage 101, you, you force yourself to focus on the positive. Very, very quickly, your life comes into balance and order and alignment. If there is someone you're having an issue in your heart with, someone that you're seeing the negative and what they do and what they don't do and how they treat you and all the, I, I promise you, you begin to focus on the positive in that person. And all of a sudden, your lens will change of them. All of a sudden, it's, it's just that human nature that as you focus on the negative, you become so consumed with it and obsessed with it, you can't see anything else. So you literally are missing God in the every, everyday moments because of the focus on the negativity. So this place of joy, joy is found in the midst of thanksgiving. And, and just to reference that, how many of you know it actually, the word of God says that the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking. It is righteousness, peace, and joy. But what that also means is if we're lacking righteousness, peace, and joy, we have to question if we're, we're operating in the kingdom. Because that's the fruit of his kingdom. Joy is actually one-third of the kingdom. I mean, it's righteousness, peace, and joy. They're, they break down the kingdom there. Start with righteousness. You'll get some serious peace on your life, which will produce some serious joy. But if we're lacking joy, we really have to question, am I operating in the kingdom if I'm lacking joy? That's where the question comes. But joy is found in the place of thanksgiving. I want us actually to look... Um, oh, let me just make one more comment on that passage of scripture. Um, one of the things I wrote down is that to partake of his death, burial, and resurrection, many of you know the promise in Philippians and many places throughout the New Testament of the, that place of partaking of Jesus in his, his death, his burial, and his resurrection. But in order to partake of that, we have to join in our daily dying, but also giving thanks in that. That's exactly what Jesus did. He went to the cross giving thanks. How many of us have said yes to Jesus through the sinner's prayer? But it's almost like we live daily with a no. You know what it is, is that when the life he's given us, whether it be in marriedness or in singleness, whether it be in wealth or poverty, whatever it may be that is our portion today and now, it's that place of living with a yes for where I am. Yes to where I am instead of a constant, I don't like it this way, I don't want it this way. And really what this speaks to is it goes really back to the Garden of Eden. I'm going to read you guys a passage out of this book, but what I want to remind you guys of, in the Garden of Eden, basically, the Lord said to them, eat of the tree of life. He, he gave them the tree of life. He actually said, you can have anything in this garden. The only thing that was off limits was the knowledge of the tree of good and evil. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Sorry, dyslexic. That was the one thing. But this is the extraordinary thing. 
is that they ended up partaking of the one thing that was forbidden of them. And really, this is, I'm going to read to you this context for this book. But if you understand that that one thing that was forbidden of them is what they ended up partaking of. How many of us in our life, instead of rejoicing in what God has given, at looking at where we are today, of what God has provided, of where he's called us in this season, we're looking at what we don't have. We're looking at what we wish it were. We're looking at what we want it to be. And that actually is what enters the door of frustration and ingratitude. What if that right there, the whole issue of Thanksgiving really comes down to ingratitude, yeah. of being ungrateful for where we are? See, I, I was single until I was 30, how old was I, 30 when I got married? I don't even know how old I was. And I was at the house of prayer. I can honestly say I had many different seasons in my life that whether it be that I was in the workforce or even sometimes when I started the house of prayer, that I would have seasons where I thought this is not where I want to be and this is not what I want to be doing. <laughs> if, for any of you that have heard my testimony, I had many seasons um, prior to starting J-Hop Boston that I wanted to move to Kansas City to actually escape some circumstances here locally. Like I wanted out. Like I wanted to go. Like get me far. And I can remember just sitting before the Lord and saying, God, like, if you could just release me from here, all of these, to be honest, my husband knows this, it was part of my husband, I was trying to, it was before we were married, I was trying to get away from him. <laughs> but honestly, could you imagine if I, the Lord did not release me to go, could you imagine if I, I look back at my life and think, Jesus, you were so kind to me, you were so Kind to me. <laughs> so kind to me to never let me, in my limited understanding, in a limited time and season, to act out of that place. Yeah. But how many of us, the Lord has maybe called you to ministry and you're in ministry and you're looking at people that are in the workforce going, wow, there's so much more opportunity out there. Like you can climb a corporate ladder, you can do the deal. And there's a heart longing almost thinking, if the Lord had only called me to that. Some of us without children, we angst for children. We long for children. There's those of us that may be single or even married longing for children. And that place of just finding contentment of where we are today. Yeah. Of this is the season and I will find God in every moment. See, this is the problem. When we're always looking for something else, we are literally missing the glory of God right here and right now. And what we're speaking to him is saying, you don't make good decisions you have not done well with my life, and I would do this differently. But instead, and for some of you, you may feel called to ministry, and the Lord may not have opened the door yet. But it's the place of where you are today, of finding the glory of God in every moment. Of experiencing Him in every moment. My heart, this woman, she's such a good writer, because she actually talks about, and I mean, you can feel it. She had six kids. She literally talks about every day she would wake up. With the, she said the words, the words were with the drudgery of regret and what would face her that day. I mean, you read it and you just go, oh my gosh, can you imagine waking up like every single day? But this is really what birthed this book of a thousand gifts. She went on a mis mission basically to write down a thousand gifts in her life. Mm -hmm. I mean, and it's her life journey basically. Of, and you have to understand, this woman... It was not a perfect life. It was, it was splattered with deaths of family members, hardship, difficulty, 
I mean, devastating things. But of just saying, I refuse to live a life of ingratitude. And when we live a life of ingratitude, it's the very same thing of Eve partaking of the fruit of the, of the knowledge of good and evil. It's saying, you, you've set a boundary in my life, and you've called me to one thing, but I want something else. It's looking away from what God has provided and what he's ordained and even finding him in the midst of it and always looking to something else that we desire and what, that we long for. This is actually where she speaks of the sin of ingratitude. It says, Satan, he wanted more. He wanted more glory. He wanted more power. Ultimately, in his essence, Satan is... Uh, sorry, let me skip ahead because I, I know we're short on time here. She's a very gifted writer, but... Um, Satan's sin, sin became the first sin of all humanity, the sin of ingratitude. Adam and Eve are simply and painfully ungrateful for what God had given them. Isn't that the catalyst for all of my sin today? Our fall was, has always been, and always will be, that we aren't satisfied in, in God and what he, is, he gives. We hunger for something more and something other. Standing before that tree laden with fruit withheld, we listen to the evil's murmur. In that day, you eat, you eat from it, your eyes will be opened, as it says in Genesis 3.5. But in the beginning, our eyes were already open. Our sight was perfect. Our vision let us see a world spilling with goodness. Our eyes fell on nothing but the glory of God. We saw God as he truly is, and that is good. But we were allured by the deception that there was more to a full life, that there was more to see. And true, there was more to see. The ugliness we hadn't yet beheld, the sinfulness we hadn't witnessed, and the loss we hadn't known. We eat, and in an instant we are blind. No longer do we see God as one we can trust. No longer do we perceive him as wholly good. No longer do we observe all of the remaining paradise that was there for us. I mean, the way that she just pictures it as that place of ingratitude of what he has provided when we reject it, what we open the door to. And really, that's what I kind of wanted to speak to us today about is that posture of, yes, living with the angst and the longing for the more. But in the midst of living and longing for more of God, longing for revival, taking the posture like Daniel, that in the place of prayer, that first and foremost, we offer thanks that we cultivate a heart of gratitude and thanksgiving. You know, it's powerful. Many of you know the story of the, the ten lepers that were healed. There were ten lepers healed, and there was one that returned to Jesus. And it says that he glorified God and gave thanks. The powerful thing is they were all healed of leprosy. But then when Jesus says, basically, where are the others that were healed? There was only this one that returned. He looks at the one leper, and he basically says, your faith has made you well. The word well actually means has saved you. They all experienced a physical healing, but he experienced a salvation that brought him into life. And that is the place that each and every single one of us, living in that place of being well in the, in the innermost part of our being, Yes, we can be healed physically, we can have all things restored outwardly, but it's that place of salvation, of being completely whole and healed, of living in life internally. It's that place of experiencing joy. There is, there is an exchange between true salvation 
and thanksgiving. There is an exchange, it's almost inherent, of true salvation and joy, as joy is found in the midst of thanksgiving. Why don't we stand to our feet? I just want us to respond to the Lord. I was going to read you guys this dream that Francis Prangifang had, and I don't really want to take up, take up, have you read this? No. I was going to read this to you, but I don't want to take up more time in reading it, but in essence, what he's speaking about is the, in Zechariah, where the angel of the Lord came and spoke to Zechariah, and it says that I was as a man who was awakened from my sleep. Zechariah was actually awake, but it was like he was awakened from his sleep. And what Francis Prangerpain is addressing actually in this is he had a dream and basically what it was is in his dream he saw a temple and he saw the glory of God being manifested. But as he saw the glory of God being manifested, he actually saw friends and companions, other ministry leaders that he knew, his own family, that were all sitting and instead of going towards the glory of God, he said, and he begins to describe, I saw some reading books, I saw some on computers. I saw some on their smartphones. I saw others busy with work and with papers. And he started talking about that literally they had been so burdened and so laid down and so distracted that the glory of God was being manifested right in front of them and nobody literally rose up to just go and be in the midst of the glory of God. He said that even in this vision that some people were even sitting sitting with their Bibles open reading and praying. But yet they were too distracted and too dull of heart to go and step into the glory of God. He goes on actually to say that in the vision, his wife actually basically pushed everything aside. And he said it took like a violent response. And she went to go walk into the glory of God. And he said the closer she got, she literally was clothed with garments of glory. And he said, in that moment, I decided I want to be in that. I'll do whatever it takes. I don't want to be distracted with work anymore. And he began to push everything aside violently. But he said, as he stood up, he actually woke up. And he said, when he woke from his sleep, he actually began weeping and saying, God, I've longed my whole life for your glory. How come in my dream you didn't let me partake of it? And the Lord spoke to him and said, I will not allow you to experience sleeping, what you were intended to experience fully awake. He said, awake from your sleep to see your dreams fulfilled. Awake from your sleep to see your dreams fulfilled. See, and that's actually what that was out of Zechariah. Is Zechariah was shaken. He was shaken, and it says that he was aroused like a man from slumber. See, some of us aren't physically sleeping, and some of us actually don't even think that we're spiritually sleeping. We can even do the activity of reading and praying, but our very spirit man can be slumbering. And the only reason I'm actually equating this to this, this message on Thanksgiving is I really believe that when we come to a place where we are discontent with the life that we've been given, where we cannot rejoice and find the glory of God in the midst of every circumstance. I think that that place of discontentment is what opens the door for us drowning our life in things like electronics and computer and social media and iPhones and reading and the busyness of working and all of those things. 
Because it's that place of discontentment. We're looking for something to satisfy. Just something to satisfy. That we were created for God and only He can satisfy. I just want us to close with a word of prayer. God, we come before you today. And God, we recognize, God, that there are many of us in this place, God, that we we awake and we even meet the day, God, and we lack the expectation of meeting with you and seeing you. God, we lack, Lord, the, the joyful anticipation of finding you in the midst of our day. And God, instead, there's a place of drudgery, of the work and the hardship and the difficulty. But God, this day, Lord, we say we want to return, Lord, to a heart of thanksgiving. Lord, that there would be joy in the midst of thanksgiving. Lord, that our hearts would be alive in finding you, God, in every moment. God, we say, Lord, we want to behold the glory of God in the moment-to-moment activities of our life. God, we want your spirit, Lord, afresh upon our hearts. God, we want to experience you afresh and anew. And God, we ask, Lord, that even as this, this dream, Lord, that Francis Frank Japan had, God, of the glory of God being revealed, but that place of slumber over your bride. God, we ask, Lord, that anything that we have used, Lord, even to numb, Lord, the, the sting of discontentment in our lives, being discontent over circumstance or even just your timing and how you are operating and moving. God, we say we want to push aside, Lord, every distraction. God, and even everything that we have used to numb the pain in our lives. And God, we say, Lord, instead, God, we want to experience you in the midst of hardship and difficulty. God, we say we want to live with a yes in our spirit every day, fully embracing, God, everything that you have for us. God, even when it offends our mind and it's contrary to what we desire. God, we say, Lord, we long to be found as people of prayer. But God, even as Daniel, God, people of thanksgiving. God, that that would be, Lord, the steadfastness of our life, God, is that we rejoice in all things. God, whether we feel as though we're experiencing freedom or even experiencing captivity like Daniel, God, that we would give thanks in all things. God, that we would find you in the midst of our trial. And Lord, that we would be found with a heart of gratitude and thanksgiving. If there's anybody that needs prayer before you leave today, Will's going to go ahead and minister in song, but if there's anybody that needs prayer or would like a prayer of agreement, we just want to pray with you before we leave here today. We're just going to close out with worship.
close the service. Just gonna pray for everybody. Um,